Gardening can be dangerous. Maybe don't try to use loppers and clippers at the same time. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's around a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the boondocks. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Carol. Hello, Dee. So tell me about your garden and your grass and all that stuff. You know, we had a fairly decent spring week, I would say, um, after being rained out like two weekends ago. We had decent weather. I got quite a bit done. I got to tell you, got out there and got some stuff done. You did? Yes. I'm proud. Well, we're in the season. We're in the season where I got to mow the grass about every five days, so twice a week. So I've mowed twice and I enjoy it each and every time. Um, and this was the first time I mowed the back. I think you should tell people about how much you love to mow your grass because it's it's kind of a joke between us. I don't like to. Well, mow I do enjoy way. mowing. Uh, it's fresh air. It's good exercise. Right. Um, I like to see how nice it looks when it's done. Uh, there. I don't know why people complain about mowing the grass. They act like it's like a horrible thing, and I'm like, and it's peace and quiet. Mm-hmm. The reason why the dads all mow the grass, moms out there, is because they get left alone. Kids aren't around near the mower. So, moms, you want some alone time? Get out there and mow. Yeah. She's shaking her head. Yeah, that's true. Because when our kids were um, teenagers, I would put them on the riding lawnmower with their headphones and say, bye-bye. And we have two riding lawnmowers because we have so much land. And so back when we did all of our mowing ourselves, we mostly had our teenage kids do it, which is what they're for. Okay, so anyway, next, what else did you do? So I told you last week, I think, that I was going to start digging up some stuff out of this one bed that I'm kind of switching it up after you that did. bed's been in place for about 10 years. So I dug out all the summer snowflake, which is Lacogem estivum, estivum, which could be, let me tell you, a bit of a thug around here. I had huge clumps of it. It can here too, but I still love it. It is pretty. And I still have it in a few places in the garden, but don't tell anybody that most of the Lacogem ended up in the trash. In the trash or the compost? The trash. Okay, don't I won't tell anybody. So you so you did some back bait breaking work. Yeah, and then after the next day I dug out all the um variegated liriope, which you hate the liriope. I hate it, <laughs> precious. I hate it. Because liriope and variegated liriope in Oklahoma will take over your life, not just your garden, it'll take over your life. So here, variegated liriope tends to stay in a nice clump and um, makes a nice bordering plant. And so I I moved it to a place where it can be a nice bordering plant. So I didn't really throw that away. Mm -hmm. But I would agree that the non-variegated liriope here, I've seen it used in um, plantings as a lawn substitute. Oh, it can definitely be a lawn substitute. But if you ever 
want it, I mean, it'll go everywhere here. And I, some rode in on a plant, like a perennial, and I didn't catch it. And next thing I knew, it was taking over a section of one of my beds. And I spent three days last summer digging it out here. It has roots that are almost three feet down. I mean, they were terrible, maybe two feet. I could be exaggerating, but it's heavy. It's heavy. It's, it's, it's hard to dig out. The variegated is not as hard. Anyway, go ahead. So the other thing that I did is uh, we're going to talk more about digging up perennials and moving them in our flower segment. But I did dig up the snowdrops that I could tell that they were like being overrun by shrubs and you could see like one little snowdrop. So I had gone around earlier in the spring and I took pictures where I wanted to move them. I put them on my Trello board, D. Smart. I put them on my Trello board. So I went and I dug up two areas and I thought, oh, I'm done. I went back to my Trello board and realized there was a third area. So I actually dug up quite a few snowdrops and I've kind of moved them to a place where obviously they will have room to grow. They're right by the front walk, um, by the by the garage, between the walk and the – anyway. They're going to be where you can see them in the spring really easily. And so we'll talk more about that. So I did get quite a bit done. I got a lot of weeding done. Of course, I should say that every week. Every week I can say I got a lot of weeding yeah. done because every week something's going to have to be pulled out. You're right. <laughs> and you kept your sister from buying annuals, and there's a good reason for this. Well, the good reason for this is today is Monday. So tomorrow morning... Tuesday morning, there's a freeze warning, and I think it's also going to be very cold on Wednesday. And I keep telling her, it's like, don't buy them, don't buy them, don't buy them. They still have plenty. They still have plenty. <laughs> and then even my nephew, he texted me at 7 a.m. in the morning, which I was up. But that's a little bit, uh, <laughs> I guess, bodacious, brazen to to text your retired aunt at 7 a.m. in the morning as though she is up, waiting breathlessly for your next question, (laughs) which was, did they need to cover anything? I'm like, only if you planted annuals already. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here, it was cold all week long. And by cold, I mean it was in the 40s and 50s, and we had lows in the upper 30s, which is not seasonable for Oklahoma. Oklahoma is usually in the That's 70s. That's cold. It's downright cold. And so um, I bought a pallet of fine pine mulch, and Bill brought it home in the truck, and that's as far as it got because, you know, it was cold and it was wet. We had a lot of rain, which is great. I love fine pine mulch. I want some. I need to order some. I love it, too. It's beautiful. The worms incorporated into the soil. It's part of that layered gardening thing that we've been talking it about. It is. For months. Okay, so there was that. Then yesterday, I went and checked my one bee colony that had overwintered, and it was super strong. And they were building swarm queen cells, which means they're getting ready to swarm. And so I found the queen, and I split the hive. Ooh. And beekeepers do this all the time in spring. Ooh. Well, I was just like... Yeah, we have to do this. I know it sounds really, really impressive, doesn't it? It does. Um, I am a little impressed with myself because it is a little hot. They, I'm very impressed. The bees were not happy in the original colony when I did this, but I put their sisters next door so with the queen, and now they'll finish making queens, and they will start over again. Yes? How did you know the bees weren't happy? Did they tell you? Yeah, they told me. They were all over my veil, and if they could have stung me, they would have stung me. But you know what? I 
they did not sting me. So there was that. And then I worked in the garden a little bit, and I stabbed my left finger, my middle finger, in a freak accident with my clippers. And I'm not going to go into a lot of it, but it really hurts. And so be careful out there with your tools. I occasionally do dumb things. And so there you go. Gardening sometimes hurts. And so does beekeeping sometimes. So let's see, is there anything else? Oh, I wanted to warn people, well, it'll be too late. By the time this publishes... If we're going to get that 33-degree morning low, you should have already covered your plants. But I've been saying it on the blog and everywhere else. It is late. Um, it's not a freeze, but it's close enough. I've been, I did plant out my pots on my back deck. So what I'll do is take contractor's bags, those are great big trash bags, and just put uh-huh. them over the tops of the yeah, pots. That's I, what I'm going to do. I still, other than the one petunia the greenhouse people gave me because, you know, I had that story last week. I have not bought yes. any annuals. Uh, I want to go over there, and I'm going to go over there and look. I think I might go over there this afternoon. i got to run a couple errands, just go by and ask them how the babies are doing, my little plants. <laughs> well, all my little babies are inside my greenhouse staying snug and warm, a little too warm some days. So I'm trying to keep them alive, and that's the last of my update. Shall we go on to our quote? We should go on to the quote. Go for it. Thank God for the beautiful flowers that blossom so sweetly and fair. They garnish this strange life of ours and brighten our paths everywhere. That's by Dexter Smith. And you said it was from a book written in 1881. Yes. I found this in a book that was written in 1881 because I was online searching for old books about pansies, violets, and violas. And this one Mm -hmm. popped up. It's called... um, I can't remember what it's called. All the flowers. Or well, you can put like it that. in our show notes. I uh, well, yeah, it's in. I put it somewhere. It's a sweet little book, and actually, I sent you a link to one of the chapters about geraniums. But I digress. And I thought that was just a really lovely, lovely sentiment. It is a strange life these days. It is strange. It talks about flowers. That's by right. MD, welcome. Thank you. Talks about flowers. So, yes, it is a strange life. And it's interesting to think that in 1881, they thought so too. And they realized, and this is kind of like a theme, flowers really do make a difference in your life. They do. In your your emotional state, yeah. So we, we have talked about things that gardeners are afraid to do. And one of the biggest things they're afraid to do is take a plant that's sitting there behaving itself, or maybe not behaving itself, but it's growing to to dig it up and move it or dig it and divide it. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it. You're not going to. You might kill it, but you're probably not going to kill it. Probably not. So we thought we would talk about moving bulbs and perennials. And this is an excellent time of the year to do that. Yes, in both of our climates. Exactly. And further north, too. And early in the spring. Um mm-hmm. It gives the plants a chance to really sort of get themselves reestablished before things get all hot and gross. Right. Fall is another good time to do this. But the reason to move bulbs now is because you can see them. They have foliage. <laughs> and some bulbs like to be moved in the green, like your galanthus, your snow drops, right? Snow, snow drops, drops, yes. Yeah, because I was trying I was trying to make sure I didn't get them mixed up with summer snowflake. So snow drops, which you really can't grow very well in Oklahoma if at all. They really like to be moved in the green. That's a big, big part of it. And some bulbs are like that. Yeah. The interesting thing about 
all the like this is sort of an aside the snowflakes the iris reticulata reticulata they're such small delicate little flowers Mm -hmm. but man they can put out the foliage when they're done i mean the clumps of snowdrop foliage are bigger they're almost a foot tall in some places so this is a great time to dig them up and move them around and i say with spring flowering bulbs once the thing is done blooming cut off the old blooms and then dig them up and move them around and you know what else you can move right now what else um, if you have some of the um, Lycoris, the the resurrection lilies, I call them, or the surprise lilies. Mm-hmm. This is a good time to move them. Yeah, this is a good time. There's a nice, I've got several big clumps of them. And actually, they've kind of crowded out some hostas, believe it or not. I'm like, oh, you thugs. Yeah, they can be, they can be not aggressive, but they definitely make colonies. And what I was thinking about what you said just a second ago that I think is important is cut the blooms off because the plant, the bulb is trying to make seed. And if it goes on and makes seed, especially with daffodils, it reduces the vigor of the daffodil. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to go ahead and plant, move. You don't want to cut all your foliage off when you move them. Does that make sense? It does. So I always cut off, even in clumps that I'm going to keep, I cut off my daffodil blooms. I do because too. Because I don't, I want them to make bigger clumps. I don't want them to go to seed. It doesn't hurt anything if they go to seed, but I don't want I have to. a couple of thoughts about that as I'm working around the garden. So in this garden club that I'm in that has been around since the 1940s, there was a very, to us, famous member who was a daffodil hybridizer and she and her husband had acreage around here where they had acres and acres, I want at least an acre of daffodils. Now, right. I kind of think that they did not go out and deadhead those. And I think about plantings that they may be done by interstates and stuff. So I kind of, they don't deadhead those. I kind of think that deadheading daffodils isn't maybe as big a deal as we think it is. It's good to cut them off. Maybe for the aesthetics. I mean, who wants to look at that old dried up bloom? So I would cut them back if you could, but I wouldn't go all verklempt if you didn't get them all cut off. Yeah, I think that's a true idea about most bulbs. So anyway, I cut back mine because I don't like looking at them because I think they're ugly. They are ugly. I had another thought. But you don't want to cut your foliage away because you if you do that, and you, don't, you won't have as many blooms next year. And you don't need to braid the foliage or do anything. I no, just deal with it. And when it when it starts to die down and it'll fall over, then just pull it away once it comes easily away from the plant, and then you're fine. And also plant hostas around daffodils, and they help hide the foliage. So do they daffodils. do. Although I have hostas around my surprise lilies to hide the foliage, and I'm like, oh, I got to. And it could be that the oh, hostas no. just haven't really come up yet in that particular location. So I'm not like thinking that it's the end of the world or anything, but I do, I got this other big plan D, you know, I got another big plan going in my head. So I need some. Are you, are you diverging from your tips here or? Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to the tips. We'll do my. Then tell me your big plan. I will tell you next week. That's the teaser. So don't, don't delay. Okay. We're going to tell you next week what Carol's big plan is. She always has big plans. Okay. So don't delay. Do it early. That's right. Dig as much of the root as you can, mm-hmm. but don't get worried if you don't get all the root. No, because you won't. Replant right away. You don't want to dig up and then see, have these things sitting in a bucket for a week. Mm-mm. Dig them up. Replant as soon as you can. 
If you need to add some compost or other garden soil around it as needed, that's fine. Sure. Water well. Right. Give it a good soak. And it's going to look like crud for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, especially bulbs, because I've moved them, and they're, it's not pretty. But don't worry about it. They're going to set down new roots. It's going to be fine. Okay, so you're going to continue to water until the plant is established or until the foliage dies back. Or in my case, you're on drip irrigation and it waters itself. That's right. And I do think, and people ask about this, it is better to dig up, like if you're you're going to dig and divide a perennial, it's better to mm-hmm. try to dig up the entire perennial and then split it, which you can do with like a digging fork or, you know, sometimes some roots, they're pretty tight. You can they are. pull it apart with a knife. You can slice it. And then replant the one half of it where you were before, adding compost and stuff. And then the other half, you're either going to give it away or give it to somebody else or plant it, I mean. Yeah, and certain perennials um, really, really replicate themselves. And you'll know when a perennial needs to be divided because often there's a ring in the middle of the perennial. And the perennial is a ring of bare a bare earth, I guess is what I would call it. And then you can see that the perennial is growing to the outward sides. That's because it's used up all the good stuff in the middle and it's trying to find new places to live. And one of the perennials in my garden that I have to dig and divide every year is my phlox paniculata. That That stuff is amazing. And so I dig it up and I actually take big clumps of it. I can't ever get the whole thing out. I get sections of it out. And then I go put them by the mailbox and people take them. I give them away. That is nice. I thought about putting that whole wheelbarrow of summer snowflake out in the driveway and see if anybody would take it. But, you know. the other th- Sometimes th- I put a big sign on them that says free. And then sometimes I just tell people on Facebook. And people know where I live. So they That's come good. and get it. It's nice. Yeah. A couple of perennials that do not appreciate being moved in the spring. And that would be the regular big irises, like the, we call them flag irises. That is more of a July moving event. Yeah, you don't move them till like July. Right, July, when it's hot and dry and they're done. You'll be able to tell. And then the other one are the peonies, and that is a fall event. Yeah. And so... But I'll I'll be honest, I have yet... I mean, sometimes I've moved peonies because they weren't in the right place, but I've yet to divide mine. They, They make a pretty classic, happy clump and kind of stay in the same place forever. They do. But, you know, if you want to give it someone away. I, yeah, I've, I've dug up mine to, to give pieces to like my nephew and his wife wanted some. And, um, mm-hmm. the other thing though, is I once I've moved peonies once in June because my sister was, is in the house we grew up in and they were getting to add on a room eons ago. I mean, it's 20 years ago. And uh, she called up and she says, they're digging where the peonies are. Do you want to come and rescue them? And I'm like, yeah, those are dad's peonies. Mm -hmm. So I ran over there and I dug them all up and I put them in gallon buckets and different things. And then I parsed them out and kind of kept them going and replanted them. And they've done fine. So, yeah, peonies are, they will do fine. It's just you don't want to move them in the spring because they're getting ready to bloom. 
Right. You know, but if you moved them, you could move them after blooming. Peonies are tough. Just be sure, and when you put them in the ground, be sure that they get, well, here, they get cold where you live easy. But here, you want those eyes just below the surface of the soil. And by eyes, I mean the top of the plant. So if you're moving one in the spring or fall where you actually have leaves, you'll see the leaves. But if you get a peony in the male, you're just going to get the eyes, the root section. So you want to make sure those eyes are just below the soil so that it gets enough cold so that it'll bloom. Um, a lot of people have trouble getting their peonies to bloom, and it's all about cold weather. So there's it that. Is. And then I thought of something else, Amsonia. Not Amsonia hubectii, which is the threadleaf Amsonia. The other one that has the really long, and I, and I just did this off the top of my head, but it's the other Amsonia, the other blue star. And so I I have a funny joke about that. I was once out with my friend Della, yeah. and she was going to buy some of it. And I said, oh, don't buy any of that. I'll just divide mine. Um, no, you won't divide yours. We spent a good hour trying to dig that up or a good 30 minutes. We're not that dumb. And so I was like, never mind. I will just buy you the plant because I feel so guilty telling you not to buy it. You, once you put an Ansonia somewhere, it's going to stay there. Oh, yeah. I've got Ansonia in three places. And the other <laughs> thing that I am very religious about is cutting off every single seed pod because that thing will self-sow all over your garden kind of blend itself in and then before you realize it's like oh that's gonna be hard to get out okay the funny part is here it does not do that at all oh oh here Isn't that weird? here itself sows all over the place you must cut back the Mine seed doesn't. heads and it is a messy messy job because yeah the amsonia has that sticky sap that's almost like elmer's glue and i have a Latex. pair of pants i wear yeah. for gardening that is just stained with that sap it's like the last thing you're going to do that day, and then you're going to immediately come in, change, take a shower, because it is a mess. Yes. So I guess that we, we just told you once again that gardening is regional, because I have never cut my Amsonia's little flower heads off, seed heads off. Oh, my go. gosh, yes. And they look, they look bad for a couple of weeks, and then they grow new growth, and they look fine. And by fall, you have good fall color on those Amsonia. Oh, it's so pretty. And I really like the Hubert. Hubectii, the best. I like that one the best. I like Threadleaf. It's also not quite as aggressive as the other one, but the other one's in a good spot, and it's been there forever. Oh, my gosh, Dee. Look Next at the time. time. We must move on. See, you were worried we had nothing to talk about. Us? I'll do the quote. To cultivate is to humanize the wilderness and promote the life-enhancing aspects of the environment. You could say that it marks the very origins of culture. The word culture, after all, is derived from working the soil and the growing and tending of plants by Sue Stewart Smith. And we're going to talk about her book in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk about the vegetable garden. And if you want to add a little culture to your vegetable garden, we say, how about some theme gardens? <laughs> so if you don't know what to plant, you could choose a theme that helps you narrow things down. Like some people grow salsa gardens. Yes. And salsa gardens almost always have peppers tomatillos, tomatoes, and cilantro. The complicated part about that is the cilantro, because cilantro is really a cold-weather vegetable, a cold-weather herb, and it goes to seed really fast, at least where I live. Um, so people are always like, why do they put cilantro with it? If And I'm like, I don't have any answers for that. If you want cilantro, I have an answer. you can grow it or buy it. Yeah. I have an answer for the cilantro. I, I buy cilantro, but it's always kind of gross, you know? Yeah, it's not in good shape. Okay, so here's my crazy answer for cilantro. 
So right be, about two weeks before you think you're going to grow or have enough of peppers and tomatoes and tomatoes. To make salsa? Yes. Microgreens. Mm-hmm. If you do the salsa or the cilantro as microgreens, you will end up with really beautiful green seedlings and they will be delicious and full of flavor. And that is my answer to that. That's an awesome answer. It's one I wouldn't have thought of. Good job. So there's pizza gardens. And the only thing I could think of for pizza would be tomatoes and basil. And garlic. And garlic. Yeah. Except yeah. here, garlic, garlic, you would dig in late June, probably. I guess. But you could do the scapes. Yeah, you could do the scapes. Well, the tomatoes and here are going to be like mid-July for tomatoes. Right here to August. Yeah. I think a really hard one to do would be a stir-fry garden with the Asian vegetables because it seems like every bug wants to attack them. Yeah, um, maybe some bok choy. I think bok choy is pretty easy. But a lot of the other Asian vegetables, I'm trying to grow vivid choy, and it's already getting rust or something on it. It's the first time I ever grew it. You know, stuff happens. So anyway. And then I I got this uh, booklet. I'm showing you if this I bought I got this booklet somewhere along the way. It's called Gardens of the Early Midwest. And that could be a theme where you could look. And they have a whole section on kitchen gardens about how to make it. And then you could see what kinds of things they would have grown in a Midwestern kitchen garden, which I thought was kind of interesting. And it's the usual corn, beans, cabbages, melons, onions, pumpkins, tomatoes, turnips. So, and tobacco. Tobacco. Oh, I bet they did grow tobacco because they wanted to... Smoke it in their pipes or whatever. Right. Um, I think that um, there's a reason that those vegetables are grown both in Oklahoma very regularly and in the Midwest. And that's because they're high, high producers and delicious. And you know what? They didn't get a lot of vegetables in the winter. No, I was going to say, but there were some like the winter squash and the corn. They, they could store those over the winter and the potatoes. They could store those in the winter. And onions and... If I don't think they grew sweet potatoes. I don't think that was really a thing back then. Mm, I'm thinking it wasn't either. And then, of course, yeah. there's the famous Three Sisters Garden, which we have talked about. And we'll find, yes, we, we will are. actually find the episode where we talked about it extensively this spring. And we're going to provide a link to it. Okay, sounds good. So that's theme gardens. You want to do the next quote? Well, that's fun. I do like theme gardens. What I was going to say about the pizza garden, sometimes people make it in the circular shape like pizza. Yeah, with little... And that's cute too. Yeah. Go mm-hmm. for it, people. That was a thing in the 80s. All right, our next quote. I have often thought that if heaven had given me choice of my position and calling it should have been one, should have been on a rich spot of earth, well watered and near a good market for the production of a garden. No occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of the earth and no culture comparable to that of the garden. Thomas Jefferson. Well, I love that quote, except that I think Thomas Jefferson wouldn't have just wanted to be a market gardener. (laughs) Just can't see him doing that. No, but. And he had a lot of help in his garden. So, um, you know, he had slaves. So That's I'm, right. But I, I don't know. I found that in my book, The Gardens of the Early Midwest, which is from 1998. And it was put out by the folks at Connor Prairie Museum, which is on the north side of Indianapolis. And they would, and it's based on life in the 
early Midwest in the early 1800s. Which is really cool. That would be fun to go and see that place. And I'm not trying to diss on Thomas Jefferson. I just think it's one of those fantasy deals like all the young people who want to be homesteaders, which we're going to do an episode on that. Well, you know, people say when you work, people say, well, if you weren't working here, what would you want to be? And I always say, I want to be a wealthy philanthropist. Go find me that job. (laughs) I just have money and give it away to people. Yeah. (laughs) So our book this week is The Well-Garden Mind, The Restorative Power of Nature by Sue Stewart Smith. And we both uh, purchased and read this book. And I'm looking at it here. I really love this book. It it really speaks to why gardening was is so important to people, was so important to people. And she talks a lot about horticultural therapy and the difference it makes in people's lives, the well-researched information about how if you're in a hospital and your room looks out on a park with trees and things, you heal faster than if you're you're looking out over like the dumpster in the back end of the hospital. Yeah, no one wants to look. She talks about gardens in wartime and now even in the trenches of World War One, they would you know, tend a few flowers and things. And so it just really, I really enjoyed this book, read it cover to cover and marked all kinds of things in it. Yeah, I did a lot of highlighting in this book because it was, um, it was interesting because she approached it from psychology, but then she went through all kinds of different sections and she talked about ancient peoples. Um, I liked that for horticultural therapy section, she discussed prisoners, people in hospitals, People who have been through war, especially, you know, veterans who have come back with injuries and all of these programs. She's from England, but she also visited the United States and looked at some of our horticultural therapy. It was a, it is a really good book. It was so good that I gave it to my daughter, Megan, who's a social worker because she works with people who are in crisis. And I just thought she would enjoy this aspect of psychology. Yes. And she talked about how in the field of mental health that used to be very much prescribed for people to spend time outdoors to, even if they weren't gardening to be in nature and that, you know, somehow we got away with that away from that because of medication. And now that they're going back to that, it's like, you know, you need to get out in a garden. And they have really focused upon um, horticultural therapy several times on gardeners world in the last two seasons. Um, different people they who have, have um, physical handicaps, uh, people who are dealing with mental distress. And I just thought it was, I thought it really tied into all of that. It did. So that is The Well-Gardened Mind, The Restorative Power of Nature and by Sue Stewart-Smith. We will put a link to that in our show notes. So let's quickly go through our dirt, which isn't very much, which is good because we don't have much time left. So yes. we... You know, they have all these national months, so this is National Poetry Month. So I took a shot at some poetry, D. Uh-oh. And it's... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's bookstack poetry, which I oh, read yeah, about. Oh, yeah, it's on your blog. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I'll put a link to the blog, but basically you find books, and they don't have to be gardening books, obviously, that have a good spine with the title that kind of goes horizontal, and then you use the titles of the book to sort of make a little poem. And so we'll prov- I'll put a link to my blog so people can see that. And then they can follow the link to the original artist who came up with this in the 90s. So that was my contribution to National Poetry Month. 
Awesome. But the big, the bigger deal is it's National Gardening Month in April, and we almost forgot. <laughs> we did, even though I've gotten 42 emails telling me it was National Gardening Month. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I'm gardening. I'm too busy to even think about it. So yes, everyone, it's National Gardening Month. Get out there and garden, but don't overdo. <laughs> don't try to do everything all at once. That's right. And don't be careful around your tools so you don't poke yourself in your left uh, second finger. Yeah, your middle finger. Just be careful. Be careful out there. I mean, the truth is, is I can be clumsy sometimes and I hurt myself, but that doesn't mean you have to. Anyway, it's always National Gardening Month for us. It is. Speaking of our garden commissions, I, my big gardening commission this week is I'm going to Bustani Plant Farm, which is a little bit of heaven on earth, and see my friends Steve and Ruth Owens. And then on Thursday, I'm going to go to Tulsa to the Tulsa Master Gardeners sale, and I've they did a pre-order thing because of COVID. I'm so sick of COVID. Anyway, we are going to pick up our plants, and then we're going to do a little bit of nursery hopping in Tulsa, which is always a great day. So basically, I'm doing vacation gardening. Sounds great. I'm going to finish up some weeding, uh, keep tending to my little tomato and pepper seedlings, which are tiny, and I think, oh, will they be ready? I'm not planting them out until towards the end of May, so they will be plenty ready. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and set the stakes for the tomatoes because they're lying on the ground and they are in my way. I'm going to mow the lawn twice. I'm going to go down to the greenhouse just for grins and giggles probably today. With your sister we'll all laugh soon. about the people that, yeah, she'll text me. She'll say, plants? I'm like, okay, I'll meet you over there. It's like she can't buy them with this. I give the Carol stamp of approval. That's because you're so good at it. I guess. Well, we want to thank everyone for listening to The Garden Angelist. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we earn a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate this week. Bye until next week. Bye.